welcome to Cozy's Diary. Okay, folks, it is the Cozy with the most. I am your host, the one and only, and I am here to talk to you about Scenario 4 uh, at the Quake, the Quake City Rumble out in San Francisco, California that I attended. And this is part four of what it'll probably be like seven parts or so so um i've already covered scenarios rounds one through three in previous uh episodes of the conzi's diary and so i will go ahead and likewise do scenario four here so i do apologize a little bit for the gap i feel like now i'm it's been a more than well over a week week and a half two weeks since i was out and visited at the quake which is still probably faster turnaround than we would have probably got on the main podcast for for the kind of tournament coverage that i'm doing for this uh, and i think by the end we'll probably do a better podcast uh, coverage by releasing it by via this mechanism also kind of curious what you guys think of how this has come out uh, doing the scenario rounds one by one kind of breaking into the games a little bit better game recap but doing the game recaps kind of short one episode at a time um, where it's maybe a little easier to catch as you got time uh, some of the guys I've talked to locally seem to have thought it was really cool and and, and have enjoyed it um, and I do want to know that I haven't uh, I know some of the audio quality has not been the greatest with the previous episodes that I've released uh, I do apologize but in the effort of trying to get these done completely uh, quickly and 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 up on the nets uh, I want I've been minimizing the time spent editing to maximize the time I can focus on the main show um, and we've got great episodes coming out and planned to be coming out yet this month so all right let's go ahead and get into scenario four so scenario four I'll go ahead and cover the scenario first here um, the title was greed is good this is not when how it's Sunday morning it's the last day of the quake I've got a couple full days yet to be in San Francisco, but I'm starting to, you know, things are winding down. I'm tired. I'm starting to be tired. I'll tell you what, big old, large old man having to walk all over the place. I am just physically starting to to get a little exhausted. I'm definitely not as bad as it was at Blood in the Sun this year with as sick as as I was, but I'm definitely just parts of me are hurting and I'm tired in ways that. I'd rather, you know, wish I wasn't in that shape, but, uh, but I go ahead and look at my matchup and look at the scenario and the greed is good scenario. It's kind of based off this, this idea that, okay, the gold rush didn't maybe quite pan out as well, but Hey, you know what else is valuable in California and San Francisco real estate. So greed is good. We're going to. The kind of the idea is that the scenario is going to drive this idea of grabbing land. So this is a, a classic control more table quarters than your opponent type scenario um, for objectives. And so you, you, you're determined if you hold a table quarter if you have the most fortitude as per the blood and glory scenario uh, in a table quarter. A unit counts... Only, may only be counted for one table quarter so if it happens to be 50-50 or something you count it for one not the other um, you get to choose which quarter I believe it was um, all characters in the unit 
regardless of their individual position, counts as being in the table quarter holding the most models from the unit. In the event of a tie, neither player controls that quarter. Deployment was per blood and glory, and the person with the most fortitude gets a plus one when determining who goes first, which is a little interesting. Um, breaking the opponent's fortitude, the person... This, this scenario was you didn't have a true breaking point where just one person won and one person lost at the point you broke an army, but if you broke your opponent's fortitude, like in Blood and Glory, you got a bonus 300 victory points. Um, in like all the scenarios of the Quake, standard victory points do apply. However, Day 2 did feature something a little bit different with the scoring. It wasn't quite true win and loss. So if there was a margin of more than 500 points... Um, then it was standard win-loss draw for points. But if it was, if the difference was under 500 points, then the winner lost two battle points and the loser gained two battle points total for the victory or for the game. So, you know, I don't remember what the total points were for each round, something like 15 or something like that. So all of a sudden, you went to like a 13-point win. So that was that was nice. They kind of helped. I think I think the idea was to kind of help drive a little bit more uh, division and variance in the scoring at the end of the tournament to help uh, try to make sure that there was a definite winner and a definite you know uh, when it came to the end of the tournament. Note that there were several scenario objectives, just like every other scenario in the Quake. Um, four of them, so you get a point for each. Uh, point if you control the table quarter. You get a point for breaking your opponent's fortitude. You get a point for controlling more table quarters than your opponent. And you get a point if you control a table quarter on your opponent's half of the board. So, those were the scenario objectives. Now, who did I play? Now... So I've played against High Elves, and I've played against Dark Elves. And now in round four, I get to do the full trifecta of Elves. I get to play against Wood Elves. Now, in one of my tournament warm-up games, I played against Wood Elves here back in Madison. So I had a pretty good idea of how the army was going to play, and what the things were, and, and how the dwarf list that I had, which didn't have a ton of shooting, was going to probably fare. And I knew I would need a little bit of help in this matchup, you know, just looking at the army matchup, having looked at a list or knowing anything about my opponent. But I figured I'd need a little help. i need my opponent to make some mistakes or, or have a bad dice roll to help kind of set me up well. Or uh, the other thing that I would have to have is, is just a little luck and play it uh, a couple of different ways. And so let's go ahead and I played a gentleman I played against was his name was Alex Harrison. Uh, wonderful gentleman, beautiful Wood Elf Army. Uh, just crazy cool display board. He had to kind of this tree, this giant massive tree with platforms and stuff that he could set like little platforms he could set like his individual weight watchers on. You couldn't really see they were on the board and you know, plat bigger platforms for units like archers and stuff like that up the display board. Really cool army. So he started his list. He had a level four spell weaver with a dispel scroll, an iron cursed icon, and the lore of shadow. And then his next character he had was a a Spellweaver level 4, a second level 4, so it's two level 4s now. This one was on a unicorn and had a talisman of endurance and took the lore of high magic. Then he had a BSB that was on a great stag. 
And it looks like he had the arrow of Kurnos on that guy. And Charm Shield and Talisman of Preservation. Then he had, I think, Hagbing Tips on him as well. He then had a Spell Singer, and this was a level 2, I believe. E maybe. I can't tell from the list here. I think it was, and then it was on an Elven Steed with a Dragonbane Gem, Halo Doom Arrow, and Lore of Beasts. So, lots and lots of magic so far on the characters. And that does round out all the characters I think I see on the list. Next up, he had 19 Glade Guard with a standard of discipline. This unit, pretty much, parked, he parked his level 4 on foot, Lore Shadow, and put in his, poison, in his Venom Thicket that he, you know, every Wood Elf player seems to be obligated to put on the table these days. Uh, then he had a 10-pack of Glade Guard, and they just had a Musician... The 19-pack uh, did have a standard with a standard discipline and a musician. And next page. He had a 10-pack of Internal Guard with a champion standard musician. And that unit had a Gleaming Pennant. He then had five Treekin, five Sisters of the Thorn, two five-packs of Wild Riders, and I believe the Sisters of the Thorn had a Banner of Eternal Flame on them and a Musician and Champ. And then the Wild Riders, I think both units had Standards. And I don't think they had Musicians. Finally rounded out the list with two five-packs of Waywatchers. The Waywatchers had... Um, did they have anything special there? I don't think they took any special arrows. No, I don't see. I don't think I see anything. And then they had a great eagle. So it's a little bit different than what I was used to facing. Uh, I was used to facing here back in Madison a lot more scouts. Um, but uh, overall, very very good list. So turn one. Big big thing happens in my favor and is level four shadow miscasts on I can't remember what spell it was, but it wasn't too I think it was a pit of shades or something like that he was trying to throw. And uh rolls dimensional cascade. Now fortunately for him he didn't blow up his wizard, he didn't lose his wizard, but he did was in that nineteen Gleagar unit, so all of a sudden that unit's down to like four or five guys, plus the wizard. So and at range that I can organ gun it. I didn't really get enough damage on them, but due to the fact that they were in the forest and such, but I definitely got some damage there. Got him to the point where he was like, oh crud, abandon the unit with his level four and and jump into another block and and try to hide the, the four or five leftover archers so he saves victory points. So And those I think those 19 pack were his true fight block too, so... A lot of shots that could have been shooting at my organ gun were basically eliminated very early in the game because of a dimensional cascade. Then, really, this game came down to, since since that happened, he didn't have a good tool set in his army that he was planning on using to whittle down my organ gun, and my organ gun was just basically able to keep everything from center all the way to my far left flank, basically at 25 inches plus. 
Um, nothing. He wasn't really willing to move any of his units into that, inside that range for fear that I would blast and, and shoot down any one of those little small five or six pack type blocks. Um, so this did minimize, unfortunately, the, the impact of the Orc and Gun in the game, but it also meant that I was pretty free for that entire side of the board to basically do as I felt like. Now, on the other side of the board, he did press me, on the right side of the board, he did press me pretty hard, and the hammer spent a lot of time kind of dancing around trying to ensure that I didn't give up uh, a critical flank or a critical rear charge or let him get to my cannon a little bit too easy. He eventually did get to the cannon, but then I was able to set up with some of the other blocks and my BSB kind of jumped out of the unit and decided to start whacking things. Uh, I was able to kind of st was able to set it up so that he had to, so that he was you know if he got stuck into combat that the hammers would start would be able to charge and then I was able to get his sisters. I was able to get a uh, you know the he because he's frenzied with the um, what is it the other horsemen? I don't remember what they're called the wild riders. Since they were frenzied, they have to, they overran, you know, they killed the cannon on the charge, and then it overrun into the flank of the hammers, and the hammers just smashed them. Yeah, I took a little damage, but not not as much as I probably should have, considering the, but considering the way things were rolled, but then uh, I'm pretty happy with that, and there was still a pretty good chunk of damage. The hammers did take a kind of a beating, um, and like I said, my BSB had, at one point, the sisters were engaged with the cannon to start with and so the BSP kind of jumped out and tried to help them it wasn't quite successful because the wild riders also got in to the cannon that same round or the neck of the following round um, but then the BSP was able to jump over to my hammers and so I had my lord my BSP and the hammers and they were just kind of at the end of the game walking around but as it turns out I was able to this was really not a high-scoring victory point type game. I think the the difference was I think I ended up with like 470 because of banners I captured in victory points that I earned from his army. Uh, just little units like I got it. I got his eagle. I got a five-pack of wild riders. I managed to get a five-pack of wave watchers because he moved them inside a uh, tower that was in near his deployment zone, and I just basically cannonballed it twice. Like he left the one Witch Watcher in there, so I'm like, I've got to score points somehow, so I fired a cannonball on it, and I got the Sisters of Thorn, and that's pretty much it. It was very hard for me. I couldn't. Re I, I chose to play fairly defensively and kind of sit in my deployment zone and let him come to me and let him bounce off the, the mountains that is the dwarfs. And uh, I, like I said, I was not a big difference. I only gave up 320, or I gave up 325 in my list, which was basically the organ gun, the cannon, and. I don't even remember what else. Gyrocopters, I think. I think I might. I think I gave up one, if not both. So really, really was just a lot of game of positioning, maneuvering, move up. Like he moved his tree kid up enough to threaten, but he never really was close enough where I could pull off a, anything more than maybe a 14, 15 inch charge. And I didn't want to pull my unit start out of the battle line much to try to threaten him in return in that regards because I felt like I was in a position to either draw or take a win and if I broke up my battle line too much that all of a sudden then I would be oh wood elf pounce and now I lost a block and now it's going to be a bigger win and, and I would take in a bigger loss so I, I was happy with that I played it safe and I eked out a small victory there in round four 
and that made me feel pretty good. And, and overall, against the elves, I did pretty well overall for this whole tournament. So now that's high elves, dark elves, and wood elves, and that's two wins and a draw. So, and against three different, really quietly different armies. So, uh, dwarfs, smashing elves, feel, gotta feel good about that. Alright, in the next episode, we'll go ahead and recap round five. And then my plan is to do one final episode where I basically just kind of recap the entire Quake experience and my recommendations for, you know, you guys, if you were considering the Quake, what you might want to think about and what I felt was different and unique about this tournament over other tournaments that I've attended attended in the Midwest, especially since this was my first tournament ever, really, getting on a plane, traveling. So definitely, I'm sure I'll have some thoughts about that as well and how you can pack your army because I sure the heck didn't do a good job of that. Even though I didn't really have any damage to the army, it was I could have done it a lot better. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this up, and we'll get to hopefully episode five here, or the next episode for round five, in a couple days. Peace out.